What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Matt and team, for leading us to some great worship this morning to our Lord through song. We're excited about giving praise and glory to Him. Well, good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining us here live and those of you that are on live stream. It is a joy, it is a privilege to open the Word of God and have Him speak to our head, our heart, our hands today and to work in and through our lives. My name is Dean. I'm one of the pastors here, Community Church of Greenwood. And we are in a series entitled Transformed. Uh, Really, the the summation of it is from Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so we've been looking at that over the last four weeks. The first week was really a vision to see why and how our lives are to be transformed. And then the last three weeks, Pastor Jason has been taking us through looking at character, character transformation, and how important it is for us to be transformed in our character. Over the last three weeks, as I've been driving back and forth from here in Indiana to Ohio and getting ready for our move here, I've been listening to the 10-part podcast on the rise and fall of Mars Hill. It was recommended to me. It's about a mega church in Seattle. And the big factor in its fall, in its demise, was the fact that the development of character did not rise to the level of responsibility and authority that the Lord had entrusted to that church. Character matters. And so today our Transformed series begins to look at transformed relationships. Because our life revolves around relationships, doesn't it? Most importantly with the Lord, with the spouse and family, with our church brothers and sisters, with our friends, our neighbors, with our co-workers. Relationships are really important. When our relationships are good, life seems good, doesn't it? Life seems more joyful, less stressful, more fruitful, less hurtful. Tim Keller, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, highly recommend it to you, to everybody, really, whatever stage of marriage or future marriage might hold for you. Tim Keller, talking about this and just the Lord's purpose for our life, said this, when Jesus' love, wisdom, and greatness are formed in us, each with our own unique gifts and callings, we become our true selves, the persons we were created to be. Keller says it well there. We'll see this morning how the Lord Jesus Christ saw the reality of broken relationships and some of the reasons for it, even amongst his closest followers and friends, and how he provides a remedy for those broken relationships. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and bless you for our time today. And we know, Lord, that our lives revolve around relationships, and some of them are broken. And some are on the verge of breaking. Please show us some reasons why that happens and the remedy for healing them and preventing them. And Lord, may the words of my mouth 
And the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, or church app or your devices to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. It is a chapter that has significant meaning in my life. Because embedded in Mark chapter 10, though we won't be looking at that part of the story in Mark 10 today, but embedded in that is the story of the rich young ruler. And back many years ago, Billy Graham took that text and made a sermon out of it. That sermon was recorded. That sermon was passed on to me. And when I was just about to turn 18 years old, working at a basketball camp, I listened to that message on the rich young ruler. And God convicted me that I was a sinner. I was separated from God, that I was deservedly on a route to an eternal separation from him in hell. And God in his mercy opened my heart, my mind, my will. And when the invitation was given, I trusted Christ as my Savior and Lord. So Mark 10 plays a wonderful role in my life. Well, Mark chapter 10 takes place and it's the end, nearing the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. And he is finishing up his training of his disciples In chapter 8, just two chapters earlier, Jesus for the first time had said, I am going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to rise again. He did that again in chapter 9, just a chapter later. He tells his disciples for the second time that he is going to Jerusalem to be crucified and rise again. And as immediately says that, the disciples Uh, His closest 12 begin to argue who is going to be greatest in his kingdom. And they begin to jockey for position within that kingdom. And Jesus warns them of the dangers of striving to be greatest, of trying to be the first of all, and that rather the greatest is the servant of all. Now, it's just one chapter later, chapter 10, the scene will play out one more time. Jesus, for a third time, is going to tell his disciples that he's going to Jerusalem to be crucified and rise again. And following him saying that, we're going to see the breaking of relationships amongst his closest followers, his friends, and what Jesus needs to do to provide a remedy for that. So turn in your Bibles, if you would, open to Mark chapter 10, follow along, beginning at verse 32. It says, and they, so Jesus and this group, were on the road going up to Jerusalem. By the way, you always go up to Jerusalem because it's elevated and because it's the place where God is. His temple is there. God's presence is there. They were going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. He was on mission. He was focused on going to the cross. And they were amazed. Who was that? The disciples, the 12 of them. They were trying to put all this together, all the things that Jesus was talking about. And those who followed were afraid. Well, who were those people? Well, those were some of them a little more distant followers, uh, some seekers, some skeptics, and even some opponents. They were following, but they were afraid because of all that God was doing through Jesus of Nazareth. And taking the twelve again, he calls, he huddles his guys up. He began to tell them what was happening to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, that is a messianic term taken from Daniel chapter 7, 
So Jesus refers to himself that way. He is the coming Messiah. He is the Messiah. Will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Can you imagine that? Not even asking Jesus. They just say, just give us carte blanche uh, and say yes to anything. Jesus answers respectfully, politely, and he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Pretty bold, huh? Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink you will drink and with the baptism which I am baptized you will be baptized but to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Matthew in his gospel account of this story says by my father. Jesus always submissive to the Father during his earthly life. And then the ten heard it, and when they heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. And whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So we learn in this passage from the Lord, first of all, the reality of and the reasons for our broken relationships. Let's take a look at those briefly. First of all, we see in James and John that we pursue attention. We pursue attention. Verse 35, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. James and John were part, along with Peter, part of the inner circle of Jesus. He had his 12 close followers, but these three were the closest. And they had been with Jesus at some special occasions. They were with Jesus when he raised the daughter of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, from the dead. In Mark chapter 5, he was... They were with Jesus in Mark chapter 9, just a short time earlier, when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain. His glory was exhibited, and Moses and Elijah came to be with him. So they were there, and they will be with him in Mark chapter 14 when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he is to be crucified. So they may have thought that this allowed for some private attention, maybe to get the jump on others. They come to Jesus privately and it seems like they even left Peter behind with the other group. They had heard how Jesus for the third time was going to be crucified and rise again, but it didn't really register with them, did it? They seemed very calloused toward it. And James and John seemed to be more interested in themselves, drawing attention to themselves it was about them at the exclusion of others. 
my, Betty, uh, my wife Betty and I enjoy the comedy of Brian Regan. Any Brian Regan fans here? Anybody see Brian Regan? We've saw, seen him in concert, YouTube, very funny, very clean. And uh, we enjoy Brian Regan, and one of his uh, skits that I really like is that he, want, he would like to be one of the 12 astronauts that landed on the moon, that walked down the moon. He said, because oftentimes I sit with people and they just like to talk and talk, I, me, I, I, me, me, me. They, they are the me monster, he calls them. And he said, I would just love to sit them and let them talk and listen and listen to them getting attention and recognition with all the people around them. And when they finally stop and get a breath, to be able to just say, well, I walked down the moon. He said that would be the ultimate trump card. That could top anything that they would bring up. You know, our sinful nature, our pride and self-centeredness to pursue attention and recognition oftentimes makes us live out being a me monster. And so we need to ask ourselves, have I caused the breaking of a relationship because I have wanted the attention focused on me. In a sense, have I been a me monster? Uh, We not only desire to pursue attention, we see from James and John, but we desire position. Verse 36, and they said to them, after Jesus said, what do you want? We want to sit on your right and your left hand. The desiring of position. They boldly, selfishly, pridefully asked for the two most prominent positions that there were in the known world to the right and to the left of the king. And they wanted those for themselves. Now to their credit, they had a better understanding of Jesus and his coming kingdom, his messiahship. But they were not comprehending the idea of Jesus' sacrificial and atoning death. They were concerned uh, about themselves, not about the men that they had traveled with, learned with, ministered with for three years, and they seemingly weren't even concerned about Jesus and his coming crucifixion. It was all about them and their positions of prominence and maybe even dominance. As I think about that in particular, as I thought about that, I I think back with regret at times uh, my co- early coaching out of college, when I was coaching, I coached at Ritz South High School, Lake Forest High School, Glenbard West in the Chicago suburbs. And as a young coach, I had this plan worked out. I was going to move myself up in the coaching ranks. That's what I wanted to do. I started thinking of players, coaches that I may have kind of left behind me. Kind of left a trail of bodies, using them to pursue my own goals. Something I'm not proud of as I think back on that. With all our fallenness comes the drive for prominence and dominance. And we need to ask ourselves have I caused the breaking of a relationship because of my desire for position? For recognition? Have I, in a sense, left a trail of bodies in my pathway? We pursue attention, we desire position. Thirdly, we see from James and John, we demonstrate overestimation. 
Jesus speaks in verse 38, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink and baptize with the baptism I'm baptized? I mean, Jesus is saying, I am going to endure some terrible, terrible things. Horrible crucifixion. Do you understand that? And they said to them, to Jesus, we are able. Can you imagine? We are able. The overestimation of their selfishness, prideful overestimation, that they had the ability to make the ultimate sacrifice. They would be called on to make a sacrifice. James would be the first martyr, recorded in Acts chapter 12, killed by Herod by the sword. John would be the last martyr. He would be exiled on the island of Patmos, a Roman penal colony. He would write the book of Revelation there, but he would be the last martyr. They would ultimately pay a price, but to be able to sit on Jesus' hand was not necessarily theirs to ask for. But they were overestimating their abilities and capabilities. Tori DeAngelis, writing in the American Psychological Association Journal, an article called Why We Overestimate Our Competence, said social psychologists are examining people's pattern of overlooking their own weaknesses. Social psychologist David Dunning, a PhD, said, quote, people overestimate themselves, but more than that, they really seem to believe it. I'm finding that the least competent performers inflate their abilities the most. We, like James and John, have a tendency to place a higher value on our own perspectives and perceptions than those of others, and oftentimes even discount the perceptions and perspectives of others. And so we need to ask ourselves, if I caused the breaking of a relationship because of my overestimation of my abilities, of my opinions, have I demonstrated an inflated ego and pride that has turned others off? Fourthly, not only we pursue attention and desire position, demonstrate overestimation, but when we do those things, we create division. Verse 41, it says, When the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Agonakteo, the Greek word there from agon, much, and actos, Greek, uh, grief, much grief. They were afflicted, they were displeased. They were grieved not at the fact that the Lord was going to his crucifixion, which they should have been, but they were grieved, why? Because James and John got the jump on them to ask Jesus for prominent positions. James and John, they saw, were seeking attention and position, recognition, and they were being left out of it. And so they began to express their opinions, and it became an ugly scene. Certainly not one representative of a Christ follower. You know, it reminds me that as I think about social media, and social media can be a great tool in expressing information, but oftentimes, particularly these last two years under the most recent political cycle and the pandemic, it's been a, a channel not to encourage and to celebrate, 
but to criticize, to cancel, to put our opinions out there and get notice and often an overestimation of those abilities and possessions and, and opinions and as a result we've created some broken relationships. Maybe you can think of those as you think about this last couple years. And so we need to ask ourselves if the breaking of a relationship because I foster an atmosphere of division, conflict, if I broken a relationship to get my way instead of, as Coach John Wooden said, finding the best way, finding the best way. So fortunately, Jesus does not leave us in that predicament. Jesus gives us a remedy to restore those relationships. Let's look at three of those in the text today. The first is we are to live differently than the world. Jesus says to have a remedy to prevent or to heal broken relationships. We're to live differently than the world. In his love and grace, he calls the 12 together and speaks to them to get their attention, to show them of their selfish, prideful attitudes, actions, ambitions, and to teach them how to restore their relationship with each other and those around them, but most importantly, with him, because they had just broken off that relationship. Thomas Rayner, a book that we use in our new members class, great book, many of you may have read it. He's talking about this incident from the life of Jesus and disciples. I like what he says here. The context is some of Jesus' disciples seeking to be first to get their own way. He says, sound familiar? Jesus then brings them together and tells them their attitudes stink. Okay, he didn't use that word, but he meant it, and he did mean it. Their attitudes did stink, and he had to make a change in there. And he reminds them that the world's way of desiring and fighting for and clawing for and cheating to get attention, to get recognition, position, and then to rule with a heavy hand, as he describes there, is not his way. It is not the way of the kingdom. They are to live counterculturally and draw attention to him and to themselves if they are living differently because of him, if they're living a transformed life. They had heard Jesus say early on in his ministry in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light so shine before men that what? They would see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. They had heard that, but it wasn't registering with them, and Jesus is trying to remind them that. Uh, a coach many years ago said this, and it's always stuck with me. He's talking about living the Christian life. He said, we are to live a life that demands an explanation. We're to live a life that demands an explanation. We're to live counterculturally, and we will avoid breaking relationships and help heal broken ones when we live differently than the world, when we live humbly, we live selflessly. Second of all, Jesus reminds us we are to labor intentionally at being a servant and a slave. He said, verse 43, but it shall not be so among you. Whatever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first must be slave of all true greatness. And being first in the eyes of the Lord means that his disciples then and his disciples, you and me today, need to be a servant and a slave. 
Now, Jesus, this is really good. Jesus does not rebuke them for wanting to be great. He doesn't do that. But for wanting to be great for what? The wrong reason. The Lord wants us to be the very best he created us to be. To pursue greatness, to really desire it. But for him and his kingdom. Not for our own attention, position, and recognition. And Jesus uses two wonderful words here to bring that home. He uses the word servant, diakonos. And it means one who executes the commands of another, runs errands, an attendant, a waiter, someone hired to care. Basically, it is a responsibility, something we do. We serve. We are a servant. And so Jesus says we need to do that. But he uses another word there very intentionally, and it is the word slave. It is the word doulos. And it is used frequently in the New Testament, however, most of the time, You're not going to see it. It's going to see bondservant or servant because of the stigma associated with the word slave. But Jesus says to be a slave, one who has been purchased, bought, one who is at the will of another to do what the other wants, someone devoted to another at the disregard of their own interest. It is a relationship and something we are. A servant is a responsibility, something we do. A slave is a relationship, it's something we are. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, you can write this down, first six, uh, chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit with whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We are bought with a price. We are a slave to Christ. And because we are a slave to him, we are to be a slave to the people that he has and to serve them. A slave is a different and a difficult concept, right? Because of our American history and the difficulties we've had. But the amazing truth of this scripture should spur us on to greater service and to help prevent or restore a broken relationship. Thirdly, lastly, we are to look constantly at the sacrificial example of Christ. Jesus said in verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus makes this monumental statement and it is really the whole theme of the gospel of Mark that he humbled himself to serve with the ultimate sacrifice, the death on the cross. And this is what Jesus had been telling his disciples at least three times. Walter Wessel in his commentary wrote this, quote, in the kingdom of God, humble service is the rule and even the son of man is not exempt from it, close quote. Jesus needed to die on the cross, he said, to pay the penalty of sin, to pay the ransom that we owed God because of our sinfulness, the debt that we had. Jesus came to pay that debt on the cross. And therefore, by trusting him, we become his slave. Jesus was emphasizing to them that 
Greatness in God's eyes in Christ's kingdom meant service and sacrifice and potential suffering. It was a great teaching moment, a great teaching opportunity and lesson by the Savior to his team and to you and me today. We're like the disciples, aren't we? And we need constant reminders of the goodness and the grace of Christ to keep falling back into sinful and prideful patterns and breaking relationships. And that's really the heart of this series, Transformed, to be not conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that our minds are constantly, consistently being renewed. And certainly the spiritual disciplines play a role in that. And that's why I'm happy that Pastor Jason and I were offering the spiritual disciplines class coming up this Wednesday for four weeks. And we hope that you or your small group can join us so that we can see how to continually have our minds transformed. And so this morning, the reality is that there are reasons for broken relationships. Desire for attention, recognition, position, our overestimation of our abilities and opinions, and that creates division, broken relationships. But Jesus said the remedy, the remedy is to live differently than the world. He says to labor intentionally as a servant, as a slave, and to look constantly at the sacrificial example that he gave. One of the most beautiful and profound passages in Scripture is found in Philippians 2. Just sit back and let me read it to you and listen to how the Apostle Paul, under the Spirit of God, puts all of this together in such a beautiful way. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count to others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to their own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a doulos being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The disciples would end up getting it. James and John would end up getting it. The the Apostle Peter would end up getting it. And Peter would write, 1 Peter 2, 21, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you that I should follow in his steps. Will you do that? Will you begin to or continue to demonstrate the selfless, servant, humble attitude of Christ as his slave in your relationships 
today, this week, and begin to show how those relationships have been transformed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. May we be doers of it and not hearers only, lest we deceive ourselves. As we prepare to partake in the Lord's table, we're reminded to examine ourselves, and as we do, to repent of and ask forgiveness for any selfish attitude, any prideful attitude that's elevated our lives above others and even at times above you. And has been the cause of broken relationships, has not demonstrated the unselfish and humble attitude of Christ. Father, thank you that because of the shed blood of Christ on the cross, your word says if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May we do that in the quietness of our hearts right now. Lord, if there be anyone here this morning that has not yet come to put their faith and trust in Christ as Lord and Savior, to be born again, to be saved, pray that today would be that day that they would yield their lives to the Savior and restore a broken relationship with Him and be in the process of doing that with others. Prepare our hearts, Lord, to take communion today, we pray. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. What a joy and privilege to be reminded of the Lord Jesus' sacrificial death for us that we've just seen witnessed so greatly through the taking of the bread and the cup. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you've trusted him, you're welcome to participate with us. So take the bread, if you would, representative of his broken body on the cross for us. The bread. In the same way, Jesus took the cup and said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me, reminding us of his shed blood to heal a broken relationship with God and with others. Take the cup. Lord, we give thanks for this opportunity to partake, to remember, commemorate your death and resurrection. We celebrate it. We thank you, Lord, that you would work a work of grace in our life through your word, through your power and presence, through your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.